0: Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to The Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Bavarian Podcast Works Show. My name is Jake Benner. I'm joined by Tom Adams. I'm joined by Chuck Smith. Guys, how are you doing on this fine, fine Monday evening, the uh, last full week of 2020?
1: Jake, I'm feeling good. We just had a great weekend. Looking forward to spending some time talking to you guys. Uh, Always a highlight of my week to spend some time with both Jake and Tom.
2: Yeah, I agree with Chuck. It's 100% always one of the highlights of my week to be speaking with you fine gentlemen, especially when it's about yet another Bayern Munich win and some other fun stuff. Top of the table, going into the holidays. I can't wait to have some time off from work and sit on my big fat butt, drink beer, eat a lot of food, and watch some football.
0: It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Tom's football, uh, English football, I'm pretty sure is the only major league that is playing on uh, Christmas and in the few days after uh, Germany, meanwhile is taking, I think only like a two week break before they get back into it. And we're still not technically done with the Hinrunde. We're not done with the Hinrunde until match day 17. We have four games to go until that comes upon us. So let's talk about match day 13, a very, very close game between Bayer Leverkusen and Bayern Munich. Um, Patrick Schick scoring this rocket in the 14th minute. Um, Follow that up with a free and open Lewandowski header. Uh, we're going to talk later about gifts. The gift that keeps on giving is Jonathan Tah, and he was really the sole reason why Bayern scored both of their goals, both for this first one because he didn't track back to get Lewandowski in the box. He bumped into Lucas Hradecky, who probably would have been able to punch it away if it weren't for Jonathan Tah just looking clueless standing underneath him. Um, and then Jonathan Ta, as the game almost ended, just gave the ball away to Joshua Kimik, who came on late in the game. Uh, in the 90th plus two minutes, he finds Lewandowski, who hits a shot. Radetzky gets a hand onto it, but not enough to keep it out of the net. 2-1 the final score. Uh, I didn't really watch this game. I was running out doing errands all day, but I saw highlights, and the one thing that I get angry about watching this Bayern Munich team is their propensity to have terrible first match performances and then come out of the locker room at halftime being much better than they were before. And it's not like the team chemistry changes that much. It wasn't like one player getting substituted on at halftime was the real reason why Bayern changed their mentality because Kimmich didn't come on at halftime. Um, it just annoys me that the team isn't able to like keep it consistent. But then again, like I'm a, I'm a spoiled Bayern fan, so I'll just toss it over to the two of you. Chuck, I know you did our podcast for the post-game show, so I'll start with Tom on this one.
2: Yeah, I mean, this one, Jake, as you mentioned, the f- the first halves, there's so many starts where you just really question after you see the lineups that Hansi Flick has chosen. You know, you kind of in the back of your mind are saying, is this the right starting eleven for this particular game? Because these opening five to ten minutes are not really reflecting that. And I believe Chuck had discussed the fact that the experiment of David Alaba alongside Corenton Taliso in midfield was just not something that worked very well. And I thought Leverkusen played right through us, especially in those opening phases of the match and, you know, in the build-up to the sequence that led to the corner kick where Patrick Schick scored that absolute worldie of a volley. And I have to agree with Chuck. I mean, we just looked all sixes and sevens at the back. I mean, there's just... A certain solidity when we have Goretzka and Kimmich as that double pivot that we just don't see with any other, you know, combination of players in our midfield. And I thought that Leverkusen did a fantastic job of just getting right after us and coming out with the high press, which I was very not surprised by. But you know, Peter Bosch is a guy he always likes to talk about keeping his sides compact. Uh, you know, with the midfield three, Florian Wirtz is someone I've been very very impressed with. Baumgartlinger, uh, Nadiem Amiri who I think it did a very good job of linking defense to attack and you know, getting up and down the channels when he needed to. But in the end, Jake, as you mentioned, two gifts from Jonathan Ta. The first one, I would say there's perhaps a little bit of a miscommunication between Ta and uh, Lucas Herdecki. I think Herdecki might have given him a shout that he might not have heard, saying that he had the ball uh, and that he wanted to collect it, or he just completely mistimed his jump, and Ta was trying to compensate for that fact that they both missed. and you know, you don't want to leave an open cross to Lewandowski because you know what that man's going to do with it. Uh, And again, right in stoppage time, making a mistake that was all led by high pressing from Yashua Kimmich. And honestly, I think the complexion of the match completely changed when um, both Musiala and Kimmich came on to replace, uh, I believe it was um, Leroy Sané who had come on as a substitute earlier in the first half for the Ingsley Injured Kingsley Coman, which was a a bit of a bizarre one. Sané, after the match, mentioned that he was not uh, too happy about that. was quite surprised, but Chuck might get into it. I I think in the beginning, Sané came on. He looked energetic. He looked pacey. He looked like he wanted to get involved, but I think we can all agree that uh, his efforts uh, were not exactly the best for the rest of proceedings in this one, and that's probably why Hansi Flick decided to pull him. You know, He didn't want to take Gennabry off and Thomas Muller off. He thought they were too important. Uh, to keep into the lineup for the overall balance. But, uh, yeah, 2-1 winners because we fought till the end and going into the Christmas break, winter pause, whatever you want to call it, top of the table. And, uh, Chuck, I'm sure you have some more to add to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you guys touched on a lot of the the really fascinating subplots to the game. I mean, I, I really was a huge fan of watching this one. I thought it was the game of the season so far. Jake, like you said, uh, there's a lot of concern about how Bayern has started games, and and in my mind, I really do attribute that to the fact that the schedule has been so condensed. There's some tired legs, but more so in that Hansi Flick is rotating so many different players in. There is absolutely zero cohesion in just about any starting 11 he rolls out there now and and that does make a difference and i think that that's why we've seen some slow starts and byron start to really fall behind in games just because the players are building up the communication amongst themselves and it's really choppy to start it it did not help anything really with the alaba to midfield to start out so i really like I, i think it's a legitimate concern but i also think it's one that over the course of this season is just going to be rectified by the fact that at some point, Hanzi Flick will start to shorten his bench a little bit and rotate a little bit less.
0: Yeah. The rotation thing has also found me very perplexed and confused. And I understand that this team is going through a lot in terms of being tired, but at some point, like, I don't know, maybe you don't want to go into the final two games of the year against the team at the top of the table. And a team that hadn't lost a game until they played us with a lineup that you're just trying out for the first time or a formation you're trying for the first time. It just, I mean, I'm not here saying like Hanzi's bad because of it. Just it's, it's confusing. Like you change the formation and then you do things like starting Alaba in the midfield and starting Nick Sula for two games at right back over a healthy Benjamin Pavard it does it doesn't make sense to me
1: but that is the beauty of Hansi Flick Jake he he is a genius in that way he trusts his roster to be able to move players around and play different positions and he expects them to excel in those positions like I think if you took an outsider's view of Bayern you know not the three of us or many of the people that read our site or even many Bayern fans in general and you said we're going to take this big hulking presence of Nick Sula, throw him out on the right flank defensively against Musa Diaby, and we're going to pray for the best. Sula absolutely owned Diaby the entire game, and that's what Flick knows. I mean, at some point, he'll be wrong about something and it'll hurt the team, but it hasn't happened yet. If he can survive that midfield of Talisa and Taliso and Alaba, I think he'll survive just about anything. I mean, Flick has handled everything that this roster has thrown at him, from injuries to players being tired to some poor attitudes. He has just handled it all in stride. I mean, look, the fact that he took Bayern's biggest acquisition, the wing savior who everyone had been pining over for years to get into Munich, and he subbed him in and then benched him, (laughs) I mean, you have to trust him. He knows this roster. He knows how these players think, and he's getting the most out of them. Are the results, you know, what we'd like to see all the time in terms of, like, scoreline? Maybe not, but he still only lost one game this year. So I'm completely okay with what Flick's doing. In my mind, he he is planning for what he's going to do in the second half, and he's trying things out that he might need later down the line.
2: Chuck, are we seeing Hansi Flick start a new trend of just starting the big guys out wide? I mean, are we going to see guys like Akinfenwa, you know, out on the wings in a defensive position from here on out? Well,
1: you could see anything. I mean, Flick has done what he's done is he's making people think. And, And if like, listen, Pavard is not a small man either. Pavard is tall and he's he's rangy. But when you look and you see Sula out there, I just think it visually Diaby at first was probably like, I'm going to blow by this guy. And then maybe about 15 minutes into this, he was like, I don't want to get near this guy. So I I think it worked out in Flick's favor. Everything he's doing is ultimately working because they're producing victories.
0: He's not a chonky boy. So everybody quit calling him that. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Hansi's done very well. And uh, it's probably like, I don't know, world's best manager of the year quality work. But uh, don't tell that to the fine folks at FIFA because apparently some other random German who goes by the name of like Jürgen something won it. Um, And I want to get this off of the table, right? Tom, you're not talking about this. Your your bias is automatically disqualifying. You can't talk about this. But I'm going to say this. I love Jurgen Klopp. I think he's a fantastic manager. He is my favorite manager in the entire world. And yes, I do mean that, including over Hansi. I love his passion. I love him as a human being, even though I never met him. I would want him to coach the German national team. I would want him to coach Bayern. But um, I don't care how long Tom had to wait For Liverpool to win a Premier League title, Uh, Hansi won five trophies in one year. It's not a quintuple, right? Because you only count trophies by season. So he won the treble last year, and so far Bayern has a double this year. It counts for this coming season into 2021. So uh, unless you count the pause of the coronavirus as its own whole season... Um, which I don't, and I don't think anybody in their right mind will. Uh, It's not a quintuple. But winning five trophies in one calendar year is an amazing accomplishment. Um, For those that didn't see why Jurgen Klopp won, um, they tied. They tied. Hansi Flick and Jurgen Klopp tied. But five international managers voted for Jurgen Klopp over Hansi and that was the margin of error it was five people that gave Jurgen the title a five vote difference right and what's kind of funny uh somebody did the average of the FIFA ratings of everybody that voted for uh Klopp and everybody that voted for Hansi, the average world FIFA ranking for man- for international managers that voted for Klopp was, I think, like 120-something or in the 110s, and for Hansi, it was 87. So, if anything, this award, I think, was won for Jurgen Klopp by the Premier League's marketing department because they were able to get the Premier League out to every country in the world the Bundesliga maybe has not done the exact same thing or it's maybe not as popular in other countries but like that just goes to exposure that just goes to what managers want to watch if you looked at the stats if you looked at the trophies like you would obviously want to give it to Hansi and the fact that it went to Jürgen, and the fact that Jürgen pulled a Macklemore and said, yeah, I shouldn't have won this one. It should have gone to Hansi. Uh, Rap fans will know about that reference. But Jürgen Jürgen even said that Hansi deserved it. And so in my mind, Hansi deserved it. Uh, Bayern should have gone three for three in the men's category instead of the two for three that they did. Thank God that Robert Lewandowski won best player. Thank God that Manuel Neuer won... uh, world's best player we'll get into the fief pro world 11 list later but let's go ahead and let's reflect on these three victories um chuck and then we're not touching we're not allowing tom to talk about the managers <laughs>
1: uh jake Lewandowski and neuer were no-brainers in my mind I, you know i think we have to look at neuer and think that two years ago there was a a large segment of the Bayern Munich fan base that was kind of writing him off and acknowledging that he was probably done. All he's done since that time is prove everyone wrong and show that that he's the best goalkeeper on earth. As for Lewandowski, I think, you know, we've been saying it for a long time. He is the best player on earth. There's no doubt in my mind. I don't say that with any type of bias. At this stage, I would take him over anyone. So, those two, I think, were dead on and, and well-deserved. Hansi Flick got robbed. Uh, it's nothing against Klopp. I think, you know, winning the Premier League, it was a special thing. And I know Tom could probably talk for three hours about how much that meant to him as a fan and, and also to the Liverpool uh, group of supporters. But, you know, I look at what Flick did. He came into a squad that really a lot of people had written off. Um People did not have hopes for a treble with Bayern Munich last year under Nico Kovac. And to be able to come in, make a couple of key personnel decisions, including putting Thomas Muller back in charge on the field, uh, to have the, the bravery to make some of the moves that he did and do things his way, I think that, above anything, shows that he was the manager of, of, of the year, the best manager on earth, the FIFA award winner, whatever you want to say. Uh, Hansi Flick did what no one thought he could do. I mean, let's be honest, people were calling him a caretaker for the first couple of weeks of his tenure, and it really wasn't until, you know, right before the coronavirus pandemic struck that people started to acknowledge that this guy really has a feel for this. He knows this team. He's leading this team to to something special. And I don't think anyone any one manager on earth last season could have done what Hansi e. flick did. And, you know, I just think the man deserves some acknowledgement, you know, plus, you know, he, his dad wear is, is off the charts, man. I mean, he dresses like me. So the fact that he dresses like me and is way more brilliant than I am, he should have gotten that award. Yeah.
2: Chuck, as you said, if he dressed a little bit more like Nico Kovac, he would have had that thing in the bag. I mean, the sweaters, absolutely. The, the nice chinos, the dress shoes, the hair. Yacht the, Club the, Kovac. The James yeah. Yeah, The James Bond villain slicked back hair uh, from Casino Royale, I think it was, is the guy he really looks like. But, yeah, guys, I just have to add, you know, I'm never, ever one to glow, especially given the circumstances of this year. I take absolutely nothing for granted. Only downside was, I would say, having to celebrate the titles by myself at home. Uh, you know, actually all of which were on weekdays except the Paul call was uh, July 4th, so I was off from work, so that was the one positive. Champions League final on a Sunday, uh, Liverpool clinching Premier League on a Thursday, uh, Bayern winning the league on a Tuesday, I think it was, against Averrode of Um, But yeah, I mean, it, objectively, Hansi Flick deserved that award. There's no manager on the planet that did what he did these past 12 months and you know I think everybody knows that the one thing I would add I, I just think that the people who were voting for this just had a, a sentimental mindset if, if that makes sense to the point where this is the first title in 30 years for Liverpool how big of a deal it was and basically you know no one was I know they all still went out they kind of disregarded guidelines uh, from the local government in Liverpool uh, when it actually happened, but I just think it was uh, a bit of a letdown and it kind of took away from the fact that they won uh, such a massive title at such a, a dire, like, uncertain time. I think that's maybe, if I'm trying to put myself in other people's shoes, even personally, if I was able to vote for this, I would vote for Hansi Flick, even with my Liverpool affiliation. And then people always ask me, Tom, if it's Liverpool-Bayern, who are you picking? And I'm honest, I say Liverpool, that the team I've supported since I was a little kid. And I know that you guys can back me up at how respectful and objective I was back in uh, two seasons ago when Liverpool knocked Bayern Munich out of the Champions League. You know, not one, not one bit of gloating or anything like that covered it completely respectfully from a Bayern angle, so.
0: Yeah, because you knew we would beat you up for it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe, because there are some BFWs that live very close to one another. Uh, Myself, Jake, and uh, our very own JND, but I guess to close it all, there's no d- no denying the fact that Hansi Flick deserved this. And at the end of the day, I've said it on the Slack channel, I've said it on Twitter. Honestly, I don't want to curse on this podcast, but I don't give a, a flying, you know what, about the awards. All I care about are the titles. And, you know, that's what we have to cherish and that's what we can hold as Bayern fans and uh, this Liverpool fan, at least, and <laughs> the millions of other Liverpool fans around the world, you know. And I, I guarantee Klopp has already said something to Hansi Flick. Uh, and, you know, they're going about the business. And, I just want to win more silverware. I I could care less about those awards because they really don't mean anything at the end of the day.
1: Tom, that slogan sounds like, you know, very similar to the one you guys have with your uh, beer league team. I don't care about the awards. I don't care about the titles. I just want the beers.
2: Well, yeah, you know, and if (laughs) Liverpool and Bayern are giving out half price beer (laughs) pitcher tickets during the game, then hell, by all means, (laughs) I will save that until the cows come home. I will be the poster boy for that. Sign me up.
0: Uh so now we get to analyze the FIF Pro World Eleven lists. Um, I say lists because usually everybody just looks at the first team and I think it's reasonable enough to go ahead and look at the second and third teams. And basically what I'm arriving at when I create these lists, um is that uh, there's a fourth the FIFA Pro World Eleven is a four-three three. So therefore the second and the third team should also be a four-three three, in my mind. Uh I just want to let you know the honorable mentions, aka the Bayern players that did not make either the first, second, or third team. Uh Serge Gnabry was rated the 14th best forward in the world this year. Uh and with the exception of the one other that we know is on this list, uh, no other Bayern forward was on this. Not uh, Kingsley Coman, the uh, the person that uh, scored the game-winning goal in the UEFA Champions League final. Uh, not Sané, who, which I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense because he was injured for most of the year. So I just found that interesting. What I find criminal is that Thomas Müller was rated the 12th best midfielder of the year behind Luka Modrić, Tony Kroos, Frankie De Jong, Casemiro and Sergio Busquets. Uh Philippe Coutinho, I'm going to count Philippe Coutinho as a Bayern player because he played a majority of the season as a Bayern player is right behind him at 13th. Uh and with that, everybody else that is on this Byron list made a team. So the third team, FIFA Pro World Eleven, is, again, a 4-3-3. Jan Oblak in goal. Uh, Andrew Robertson, Jerome Boateng, Tiago Silva, and Marcelo. The midfield three is Frankie De Jong, Tony Kroos, and Leon Goretzka. The forward front three are Zlatan Ibrahimović, Sadio Mane, and Karim Benzema. Uh, never again did I think that Zlatan Ibrahimović would have made a top three FIFA Pro World Eleven team, but yet here we are. Uh, the second team is Manuel Neuer in goal. You know, the man that was just voted the best goalkeeper in the world for this season only cuts on the second team. Because logic. Um, Danny Alves... Shocking. Danny Alves making this list. David Alaba, uh, Kalidu Koulibaly, and uh, Jordi Alba. A midfield three of Bruno Fernandes, uh, Luka Modric, and N'Golo Kante. And then a front three of Erling Haaland, Kylian Mbappe, and Neymar. And the FIFPro Pro World XI first team is Alisson Becker. Shut up, Tom. Uh, Sergio Ramos, Virgil van Dyke, Trent Alexander-Arnold, and the first North American to ever make a FIFA Pro World XI team, Alfonso Davies. Uh, The midfield three being Kevin De Bruyne, Thiago, and Joshua Kimmich, and the front three being Lionel Messi, Robert Lewandowski, and Cristiano Ronaldo, which I'd put Neymar over Ronaldo for this top list. But that being said, I'm going to argue that four Bayern players made the first team. Because Thiago played for almost the entire year as a Bayern player. I don't care if he's on Liverpool now. I'm claiming him as one of our own. And I think that's fair. I think even Tom would say that that's fair. Because he's not done a lot while he's been at Liverpool. He's part of a rotating midfield three. And, I mean, he was a starter in our double pivot. He won three titles with us. So, I think it's fair to call him a Bayern player. So... This is the FIPRO World XI first team. I mentioned the other teams. What are your thoughts on who should be where, who got snubbed, who uh, shouldn't be there, uh, and anything else you might want to add?
1: I mean, I could really just focus on one, and I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but Thomas Muller, in my eyes, was better and more impactful than Tiago Alcantara last season. Uh, I think that if you look at how Byron performed with Muller once he was kind of given the go-ahead from Flick to to really just settle into that position, he was probably one of the top five players on earth. Uh, Tiago, while he was very good, uh, missed long stretches of last season. And guess what? Uh, Leon Goretzka and Joshua Kimmich, actually looked better at times than any combination of Thiago and Kimmich or Thiago and Goretzka. It's not a knock on Thiago. Obviously, a great player. Uh, Technical ability is off the charts. When I'm looking at who was more impactful and who was just overall better, uh, I'd go with Thomas Muller. And I think one of the things that hurts Muller is his position. So obviously, you could refer to him as an attacking midfielder or a second striker. And I think when voters go to look at that kind of thing, they don't know where to slot him or they don't understand how impactful he is to Bayern Munich. So uh, I think he's just a player that will never get appreciated for how great he is. He's gangly. He's goofy. He doesn't look like people want their footballers to look, but he's just damn good. I mean, that's all there is to it. So I, I honestly think he should have been in the World eleven, and I, I would argue that with anybody.
2: I just have to start. I mean, how Alvaro Odrozola did not make this list is beyond <laughs> me. I mean, guys, what did he win? Five trophies? Does anyone else's trophy cabinet look like this after the past the season?
0: Won, the man won at five titles, three with us, two with Real. He deserves
2: everything. He's 100% making a track with <laughs> DJ Khaled right now. All we do is win. <laughs> That's exactly what he's doing right now. So the fact that no one voted for him, I mean, come on. Football, it's a joke. wake Whole up. thing's, oh, a, thing's travesty. a travesty. It is. It is. But on a serious note, 100%, I have to agree with both of you about Thomas Muller. And the one kind of thing I'm just rolling my eyes at when I'm looking at this, this FIFA Pro team is it's like, God forbid we don't have Messi and Ronaldo in there, even though Bayern Munich did significantly better than either of those teams in the Champions League, the biggest competition. And, like, Barcelona, without any disrespect to their fans, is kind of a dumpster fire right now. But it, it's almost like it—they feel everyone feels obliged to put them in when in reality, as you mentioned, all those things you just mentioned, Chuck, you know, Thomas Muller was probably one of the most effective players for his team on any team this past season. I mean, I don't know what he has to do to get in. Uh, the first team and the other thing I would say Jake going off of you were talking about the Liverpool players and you obviously you're correct Tiago has only had a couple matches for Liverpool and then uh, Richarlison just completely did in his knee and so he's been out ever since the Merseyside derby a couple of months ago but the, the one thing I'm looking at so a all the Real Madrid players that are in the first team uh, I, I absolutely hate because I hate Real Madrid <laughs> that's completely unbiased but also, just looking at Van Dyke and Trent Alexander-Arnold, like I know Liverpool fans will agree with me, and objectively speaking, like after uh, matches resumed after the coronavirus, I mean, yes, we won the title by uh, a, lo- a landslide because we really, really bossed the first half of the season, but Liverpool were not playing particularly well as soon as 2019 turned to 2020, even right before the pandemic broke out. Knocked out by Atletico Madrid, stumbling... Uh, to wins against teams like Norwich City, West Ham. I can remember a few others. And uh, I I don't think collectively we were playing that well. Uh, We kind of stumbled over the finish line. So I'm kind of looking at Van Dyke and Trent and kind of looking at the fact that David Alaba didn't make the the first team because I thought he was someone that was enormously impactful and influential for Bayern Munich and people need to realize that he was asked to step into a different position than he's used to playing as we know as Bayern fans from left back to center back uh, for the better part of the season and I thought you know the quote-unquote defensive ge- defensive chief did very very well to make that adaptation and become a true uh, leader in defense for a Bayern Munich team that that did quite well defensively and Obviously, quite well collectively and route to the treble. So that's another one of those areas where I was looking at, you know, comparing Liverpool, you know, just barely getting over the line. And th- it sounds harsh saying that, but you know, we weren't playing well after the um, the coronavirus pandemic, after everything. Project Restart, I think it was called in the Premier League, not playing the greatest. So <sighs> I think Alaba should have been on it as well as Muller, but in the end, it. it I don't want to say popularity contest, but there's just too many variableistic uh things that go into this, connections that the players might have or the coaches might have with them, sentimentality. So in such a weird season and such a weird year with everything that's gone on, I mean, it's really hard to, to blame too many people. So eh, that's my two cents on that.
0: Uh, I'll just say this last part before we head to a break. Um, I don't necessarily think that I would put thomas müller above kevin de bruyne i don't think that every bayern player should have made this world 11 um i don't know it's tough cristiano ronaldo did score the most goals that he scored with juventus so far in the in a season this last season 1920 um and I guess in that regard, he's on a rebound, but thirty-one goals is kind of like lower middle of the road for him. Like I don't necessarily think you could look at Cristiano's output this season and say he was a better player than Neymar or Mbappe, who I think are probably more deserving of going up front. And I imagine Chuck is very right about the uh, second striker versus midfielder comparison, but I'm I'm generally happy about the way that Bayern turned out. Like, the way that they got represented here was pretty good. I just think that, I don't know, maybe he could have replaced any of Luka Modric, uh, Tony Kroos, or Frankie de Jong, who all had subpar seasons these last year, especially on theirs, right? And it's not like subpar being like, just cause they're own, they're old. It's to their own standards, right? I don't think you could look at Luka Modric last year, despite the fact that Real won La Liga, right? I don't think you could look at what Luka Modric did last year or what Tony Kroos did last year or what Franke de Jong did last year and said that they were high quality performances in their year. It took de Jong a little while to get used to Barcelona, Modric just looked really slow and out of sorts at times, and Toni Kroos has fallen off a cliff in three years from the time that he was being considered one of the better midfielders in the German national team in the 2018 World Cup. So to put them there over, I'll say this, the most important player on this Bayern team, Thomas Müller, is ridiculous. It's insane to me. And I think that there are some people out there that will say Joshua Kimmich is the most valuable midfielder on this team. And to that, I would say that since Joshua Kimmich has been out, I think Bayern has won every game or drawn at one or drawn every game. And you could see how important he was when he came on in the second half against Lokomotiv Moscow and how different the team worked with Tomas in the field and how they were able to go out and score two goals. I think that both Kimmich and Tiago were part of the best midfield duo in the world. So I'm fine with putting both of them there for this season but this is like the third or fourth year in a row that Thomas Muller didn't make a FIFA Pro World Eleven team, and that's insane in my mind. Um, and that's all I'm going to say on that. Jake and Chuck,
2: quick- I'll even uh, Annie you up, one up on this. Do you guys both think Lewandowski would even be there if it wasn't for Muller? Because we know how many more goals he scores when Muller's on the pitch. How about that?
0: I think Lewandowski is a good enough player in his own right, but I think that... I don't think either of them made the other one look better. I think they looked to be a perfect partnership in a deadly two-man strike force. And I think if you put one of them there, you should put another one there, right? To paraphrase Michael Jordan, who once said that whenever they speak Michael Jordan, they should speak Scottie Pippen. If you speak Robert Lewandowski, you need to speak Thomas Muller. And if you're silent on that, then you're tone deaf forever. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we are going to get into the Christmas spirit, so stay tuned. Welcome back. And now, as the snow may be falling wherever you are in the country, it is almost Christmas time uh, in the United States and around the world. And as we all go to sleep, hoping that presents will be left under the tree by Hansi Claus, we're all going to wonder uh, what Byron might be wanting under their Christmas tree. Now, I've already he- heard what both Tom and Chuck want. Under their uh, Christmas tree for Bayern. And I know what the best answer is out of the three of them. So Chuck's going to go last. We're going to save the best for last. Um, and we all probably have a good idea that Bayern's probably not going to sign anybody for the men's team anytime soon. Uh, especially because we've heard nothing but the fact that Karl Heinz Rummenigge thinks this team is now paupers, which is kind of hilarious to think about. Um, and very wrong I think as well. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't have some fun as this is uh, as this is the last show that we are producing in 2020. So Tom, what do you think is on Byron's wish list this year?
2: Well, there's there's Byron's wish list and then there's what I would like to see under the Christmas tree from a Byron perspective. And I know we were discussing a little bit earlier about what our ideas would be. The more we've been talking, uh, you know, I've kind of had some things percolating in my brain, and you know, Chuck and I, I know he can back me up on this. We are just absolutely massive fans of all of the uh, Mikel Cuisance hype videos where he would make these uh, slow mo, very dramatic productions of basically him just doing some very basic training sessions uh, or perhaps coming back from injury. And you know, so it's more of an inevitability, inevitability, excuse me, that Jamal Musiala is going to get that big new contract of six figures at Bayern Munich, but. One of my wishes would be that they have a Mikel Cuisance hype-level video presenting this new contract. I mean, I'm talking I want to see Brazo in shades coming out with his samurai sword in his samurai getup escorting Musiala to (laughs) a conference room. He's got a huge suitcase of money, and he's wearing a suit like uh, that gif of uh, Sandro Wagner and Renato Sanchez, I think, whole Miami Vice-type vibe. Uh, I definitely want to see that, you know, a little bit of the elements from RB Leipzig's production of announcing Dominic Shabashlai. i probably just butchered his name—but I know Chuck was a very big fan of that of that video uh, as well. So you know, when that contract happens, if there's not a hype-up video for the presentation, I'm going to be very disappointed. But on a more realistic level, if I'm if I'm Hasan Salihamidžić, someone on the front office, and I could have anything I wanted, uh, you know, from the under the Bayern Christmas tree, so to speak. You know, there was two positions I was really looking at as far as the transfer market, and that was a number six position and then perhaps a a center back or even a a wing back. You know, we were sitting here months ago talking about the whole transfer poker uh, with Barcelona for both Max Aarons and Serginho Dest. We all know what happened with Serginho Dest. So as a young right back, a young pacey right back, you know, with a team like Bayern that specializes in uh, attracting young players, signing young players, and developing, developing excuse me, developing, developing them to the next level i still think he should be someone that is on Bayern's radar and he is still someone i would like to see us pursue i think that he can offer a, a lot for this team and we spoke early about earlier about hansi flick making his rotations and some you know quirky experiments in the back line that have worked you know nicolas sulla at right back uh, david alba being pushed up to the midfield most recently against Bayer leverkusen so he's someone that i i, I think that we could really still find a lot of use for it and I'd be curious to see if that actually would happen, you know, if he would he would come back to the negotiating table and come back on the radar. Uh, I know that Bayern's scouting department, they always have all these people they have their eyes on and we might not know about it until someone's actually signed a la Buana or Douglas Costa coming back or you know, what have you, but That's one position I'd like to see. And then realistically, I just personally feel that if we get a more solidified number six, that would give Kimmich and Goretzka much more freedom. At times, we could use a triple pivot instead of a double pivot, even though the double pivot of Goretzka and Kimmich is very, very effective and I think one of the best uh, in the world at the moment when they're both on form and fully fit. Uh, So I know I lodged some names out there. Frankie DeJong has been linked with us. I know uh, for whatever reason, I should say... Because Frankie Diong was linked with us and kind of snubbed us for Barcelona, that a lot of people in the BFW community want absolutely nothing to do with that. But I guess he's a good base. Someone of his quality at that number six position, I think, would really uh, provide a lot for this Byron team. For a guy like Taliso, who plays in the midfield, his injury history just doesn't seem to get any better. I feel bad for him. Mark Roca, people will bring up him, but I don't know what he has to do to get some minutes with the injuries that we have. It seems like the opportunities are there, but. Hansi Flick is a little bit apprehensive so there must be something there where he is expecting to see a lot more from him so if we do throw in a, a more experienced number six to the fray I think that would that would do nothing but help us and maybe push Mark Roca to do even better and uh, maybe that would uh, spell the exit for Quarantan Taliso and the ultimate exit of Javi Martinez but in my eyes, yeah, those would be the two positions that I would really like to see, but I'm curious to see what you guys have to say.
0: Well, you went ahead and took mine. I said that I was going to talk about Max Aaron's, but you mentioned him, and then you kept on mentioning different players, and I was like, Tom, if you keep talking, you're going to name the entire Byron lineup, and I'm going to have absolutely nothing that I, I could be able to ask for. So here's what I'll say. All I want for Christmas is some damn backline consistency. Uh... I think that this team really had something good going going into the Champions League with that back four of Davies, Alaba, Boateng and Benjamin Pavard. And now I think all of those back four are up in the air. Right? The reason why I was going to mention that we should sign Max Ahrens is because I think it's ridiculous that you start Nikolas Sula at right-back. Because regardless of how good his performance was, he's not a right-back. He he, he shouldn't be a right-back. He can't push up and attack at least... That's what I thought until he went on a run against Lokomotiv Moscow. Um, But what I... I'm really scared about is this back line because one, it's not been the most consistent and two, Bayern's probably about to lose two of those four people that I already mentioned. David Alaba's contract situation is not clear. He could leave this summer and all signs point towards uh, Jerome Boateng leaving. So what I'm saying and what I'm hoping is that Bayern figures it out. And whether that's in the form of lining up transfer targets, right? I'd like to see Dio Upamecano out there. I'd like to bring him onto the team. I'd like to look at other players, like maybe Hertoberlin's Nicholas Stark, possibly to bring him in. Uh, if we're really looking for wing backs, uh, like a really out there. Person is Felix Agu from Werder Bremen who I think is fantastic and if they might be going down this season then I'll look to them uh, but me my Christmas wish is already happening and that's because Schalke's is destined to go down this season and I love that more than anything for Christmas this year um, and now I want to leave it to Chuck who has a very out there one which I love And I'm very excited to actually happen, even though I don't know if it's going to happen, but it'd be great if it did go ahead.
1: All right. So when Jake posed this question to me, I did the normal thing where I ran down the Byron roster and you know what? I'm actually really happy with the roster and I probably would not make any tweaks to it. The one person I think I probably would have made an effort to go after, and, and strictly because I think he would be a great piece for the future, was was Dominic Sabasloy, who eventually ended up going to Arbe Leipzig. So with him off the table, I then started to kind of look at who would be maybe a cheap addition. So I kicked around Mario Mandzukic. He's a free agent. Uh, probably a better option right now off the bench than either Chupo or... Joshua Zergzi, so, uh, but then I thought about, they really don't need Mandzukic. They really, they don't need another player on this roster. I'm completely content. So I started to to kind of look at Sabiner strass and I said, what team that's doing really well and has the potential to go through and maybe win a Champions League this season could maybe use one extra kick? And it, it dawned on me that the Frauen, who are excellent, undefeated, 12 wins out of 12 games in the Women's Bundesliga, they might be able to use just a little bit of a spark. And the first person I thought of to provide that spark was Julie Ertz. Uh, not just because she's a tremendous central midfielder with a defensive presence, but because when you watch how this Frauen team plays, and I've spent some, some time watching them lately, I think she would be an excellent complement to what they do. She's a fierce defender. She's got great vision. She knows when to rush into the box and contribute offensively. I think she would be the perfect gift under Bayern Munich's collective Christmas tree for all of their teams.
0: I think going off of that similar tangent, I think a great person to bring into the fold is somebody that Bayern already knows. Someone born in the state right above me. Someone who might have to end up playing their sister in the Champions League. I think Bayern might not... It might not be a bad idea for the Bayern Frauen team to go ahead and look at former Bayern Munich Frauen player Christy Mewis. She won a championship with the Houston Dash in the NWSL Challenge Cup over the summer. She scored her first goal for the... USWNT she got her first call up since 2014. She's become a much better player over the last couple of months than she's been in a while and that's not to say that she isn't a good player or wasn't a good player before, but I feel like she's unlocked a extra level that you know, a reunion might not be the worst thing potentially out there for for Bayern. So I think Christy Mewis might be a good addition, but I love the idea of Julie Ertz coming to Bayern Munich. I love the idea of Zach Ertz having to share time between Philadelphia and southern Germany even more. Um, oh, yes. Yes, he is. My my apologies, Chuck. But then again, it's not like I'm bragging much either. Uh, and of course it had to be 2020 when the Patriots didn't make the playoffs, but... Uh, I digress. Uh Tom, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap this up?
2: I was just gonna say, Chuck, would it be too much to ask for Tobin Heath, who is tearing it up in Manchester, or would that just make me love Bayern Munich like at unhealthy levels?
1: Uh, well, it definitely would do that, Tom. And, and Tobin Heath was on my short list there, along with Rose Lavelle. But when you know they're attached to the Premier League side, or I'm sorry, English sides, uh, I opted to go with Ertz there. So. Yeah, I think if, if Tobin Heath were to sign with Byron Tom, there would be the uh you know, the, the was it Drew from Office Space, the O face GIF, I think that would instantly be you. <laughs>
2: Just maybe. Just maybe. Good lord. Well, maybe a little bit a little bit better looking version. Than Debatable.
0: That, Debatable. Uh so that is going to wrap this episode up. And as I said, it was the final episode of twenty twenty. And, and as I was thinking of a correct way to wrap this final episode of this year up. I just kept thinking about what I would title this episode. And I don't know when I'm going to release it. Whether it's going to be Tuesday or Wednesday. We record this on a Monday. But I already know what the title is going to be. Um, uh, so today's the 21st. So if it got released on Tuesday, it would be nine days left. If we released it on Wednesday, it would be eight days left because I've arrived at the point where I am looking forward to the end of this year more than anything else. It's been an awful year. It's been one of the worst years the world collectively has experienced and the world individually has experienced. Whether it was me having graduated into an unknown world with job opportunities that vaporized before my eyes faster than Thanos snapped his fingers, whether it was Tom having to go into work at a gym basically on the front line of a pandemic, and whether it was Chuck who has kids going to and from schools who had their own lives and their own fantastic soccer careers, which will lead them to Munich to join Julie Ertz and the Bayern Frau. And eventually uh, having that put on pause for the three of us, it's been an incredibly trying year. And I think as I was looking back at all of our episodes, I listened back to the first one that we made in the middle of the pandemic. And it was me and Tom and we were both drinking and we were both very sad about the league ending for the time that it was. It's been hard for a lot of reasons. And at the same time. I don't think there's been anything. Better. To bring me back. Than. Um, than Bayern Munich. Uh, than Bayern Munich soccer. And. And to save somebody on Twitter roasting my ass again for calling it soccer. I'll just say football and you can shut up and shove it. But I really feel like the one bright side this year was winning the treble and was winning the Champions League. But even then on the day of the Champions League when it won and it was something that I have never experienced following Bayern, I started following Bayern right after they won the Champions League without even knowing that they had won the Champions League the year prior. It was a joy that I never got to experience, but even then, 2020 seemed to have numbed it to the point where I was happy, but it wasn't the kind of happiness that I really thought that it should have been. It was played in an empty stadium. It was played in not a stadium that was supposed to host the final. And despite all of that, when I look back on it now, it really was the bright spot for the year. I think we as Byron fans are incredibly lucky in that regard, that in a year where the world stopped, our lives were in some way, shape, or form destroyed or at least reduced in some capacity. We all had this team and this success to be able to count on. And whether it was... Meaningful players like uh, Robert Lewandowski and Thomas Muller, whether it was lone players like um, like Philippe Coutinho or Ivan Perisic that are here and are now gone, to whether it was Neuer or Kimmich or Hansi Flick, whether it was Rummenigge or Brazo, or whether it was the most important person on this team, Alvaro, Odriazola. We all have Byron to thank for this. And in this year, I just I just have to repeat myself yet again. We all have we all have Byron to thank for this team being the one light at an end of a tunnel that we didn't see, especially back in July. And now A couple of months later, here we are. A vaccine is rolling out. The year is about to end. And better days are upon us. Not only just for Bayern Munich, but for the world as a whole. And at night when I fall asleep and I dream, I have dreams of me standing at a Sudkurva that I've never been to. I have dreams of going to my first Euros. I have dreams with of learning German and speaking German with people that I've never met before. And those are the things that I'm going to hold on to really the most as we come to this real time of reflection. Like, I don't know about you all, but the holidays are really a time of reflection for me on the past year. And this year has been terrible for reasons that I've explained and I haven't explained. And... We have this, and this is something that I'm going to savor for the longest time. And I think we should all be thankful for that and be thankful for each other as well. So follow us on Twitter. Reach out to the Byron community on Twitter as well, because we all know that everybody's hurting, and we all know the holidays aren't the greatest time of year. Reach out to us. You can hit us up at jeffersonfenner.com at Tom Adams 71 Tommy Adams 71 at the Barrel Blog or even at Bavarian FB Works and we're here and we'll remind you of all the good times that we had this year. Um and be sure to check out bavarianfootballworks.com for everything. And so until next time when we talk to you removed from the year of horror That was 2020. We wish you the best. We wish you a happy new year. We wish you a happy Kwanzaa. We wish you Merry Christmas, whichever holiday you choose to celebrate. Happy winter solstice as well, I guess. Uh, Hope everybody enjoys their new superpowers. Um, And to that, we raise a glass. We say thank you to you all for downloading and listening to us and sticking through with us throughout all of this terrible time. And we will be back and better than ever in 2021. Alvita Zane.